Um, no, I was not a natural at it. Uh, when I started rowing, I hated it because especially coming from a very dynamic sport like netball, rowing is the same stroke that you do over and over again. <laughs> it's a very boring sport if you put it in that perspective. Uh, but I think I was very competitive with myself. I, I keep on coming back to training because I wanted to prove to myself that I can do this. So I remember the first time I was in a single skull, I spent more time in the water than on the boat. <laughs> I was always like, I, I was capsizing all the time. Personally, I never like to use the word sacrifice because yep. it's a huge thing. I, I feel like it's choices I make and the consequences that I have to deal with. <laughs> and the choices I made were to not have a... Um, life of a 20 year old <laughs> like I never went out um, with friends until late at night sometimes I would go but I have to leave early especially when I was a lightweight rower whenever I go out with friends I don't usually get to eat <laughs> I was starving all the time so those are the choices I made are uh, really foregoing the fun and exciting part of life being a 20 something I no, I feel that Singaporean athletes do have like that mental strength. I think it just needs to be unleashed or maybe trained because right. I, this is why I always tell coaches like mental training is not like a, a, an extracurricular. It should be part mm. of the training program. And sometimes when I even when I'm working with coaches here in the US, they put me in slots like maybe after lunchtime or in between training and lunchtime during a weekend where they are free. And I'm thinking like, no, I am not something that you put in between your sessions. I'm something that you intentionally integrate in your training session. Hey, this podcast is all about the hustle. My special guest will inspire you with their stories of sheer hard work, resilience, tremendous work ethics, life skills, mental strength, lessons in failure, and above all, positivity. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the hustle. Hello and welcome to the Silver Fox Hustle podcast. This is episode number 76. And uh, if you don't already know, just follow us. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube as well. So uh, uh, let's go. This is episode number 76. And I am so happy because my guest today, uh, she is someone, at least in Singapore, who has uh, kind of like gone off the radar, uh, kind of forgotten. But the Silver Fox Hustle, have not, uh, she, we have not forgotten her. Now, she is the first rower to represent Singapore at the Olympic Games. Uh, she was ranked 23rd. Uh, in Rio, and also a SEA Games and gold medalist and competed at the Asian Games, of course. Now, Aisha's story is one of courage, grit, perseverance, and uh, the epitome of the hustle. Now, we also hear that she just uh, started a business, so we're going to talk about that uh, to her as well. Welcome to the Silver Fox Hustle podcast, Saida Aisha, or better known as Aisha the Rower, right? I guess so, <laughs> People know me as Aisha Rower. Right, yes. right. Uh, how have you been? Uh, I said at the beginning, uh, you you were kind of like forgotten. Uh, do you do you think so? You know, in a way, like especially in Singapore. I think no one has ever said that to me in my face right. before. Okay, okay. <laughs> so now that it's in my face, I'm like, huh, yeah. People don't really <laughs> think about me anymore, which is fine. But sometimes, like Brita Haryan will like reach out to me and ask me questions. I'm like. Okay, I still feel remembered. <laughs> uh, people like me as well, you know, uh, try to get you for, for the longest of time as well. <laughs> <laughs> I um, know. I'm so sorry. I so it's, yeah, Facebook Messenger is strange. It puts like people who are not your contacts like somewhere else. <laughs> true, true. Uh, now, uh, you are based in, what? tell us, tell us, where, uh, where are you based in and, uh, you know, and what, do you, what do you do at the moment? Yeah, uh, so currently I am in Massachusetts in the US. I would like to say I'm in Boston, but I live about 50 minutes away from Boston. So uh, in the East Coast of the US, uh, I am currently a full-time um, athlete. So live, still living the dream, but <laughs> but getting paid for <laughs> what I do. So I'm working with this company called Hydro. Um, it's a a rowing machine with a screen on it 
and um, basically the person who's rowing, you will be able to watch a coach on the screen coaching you. So I'm that coach on the screen. Right. So, right. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, and yeah, like you mentioned on the side, uh, I've been doing a lot of athletic counseling. Uh, I did my master's program, just graduated a few months ago. Uh, so I just started this business because it's something that I'm passionate about. Right, right, and 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 this business is actually I want to uh, talk about this right right at the end, but it's okay. Just shoot, right? So, so what business is this exactly? Like, like you know, I just saw your post by the way on Instagram and and Facebook. So, what business is this exactly? So it's a mental skills business, a mental skills coaching. Um, so I work with athletes, whether individual or teams, or sometimes I work with coaches and parents as well. Um, and I offer either individual sessions or team workshops. So there's this thing called athletic counseling, uh, which is what I graduated with, with this master's. Um, it's like counseling basically, but focuses on the athlete's um, performance in sport. But the thing about what affects performance in sport is everything else in your life. So in that session with the athletes, usually I'm talking about everything else that's happening in their lives that affects their performance. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, very interesting because this master's that you took, is it specifically to sports uh, counseling or, or is it just a, a broad uh, master's? Yeah, no, it's uh, it specializes in athletic right. counseling. So nice, I work nice. with athletes. Beautiful. Now, uh, we will talk about because I know because I was reading and doing some research and all, and what you are doing right now, you know, has has got something to do with you know how how you 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 know lived your life after Rio as well, and and you know there is there is a little bit of comparison there and why you're doing it right now. But we'll talk about that later on, right? What was your childhood like, Aisha? You I, I know you had for like what four four brothers or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how was that like? Tell us, talk us through your, your childhood and family and stuff like that. Yeah. So growing up with four brothers, uh, I think that made me very, very competitive. Um, like, especially when it comes to food, chicken nuggets. When my mom cooks chicken nuggets and put it on the table and if you're not there to eat it, it'll be gone in like a few seconds. <laughs> so everything was a competition, even like Game Boys, computers, everything is about like who gets there first. <laughs> I was sorry to tell, we bought a Game Gear. There's this thing called a Game Gear, which is a Game Boy but bigger version. And we fought over it so much that my mom threw it out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Literally. Wow. So we only used it for one day and then it was gone. <laughs> Boys, right? Boys. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, so I think, so I think it like chicken is your favorite food. <laughs> I I actually just had chicken nuggets for for dinner, so <laughs> it is my favorite food. Right. Athlete food, but. <laughs> uh yeah yeah so and and uh parents as well and which schools did you go to? Uh so I went to Woodlands Primary School. Yeah. Um. And then went to Bukit Panjang Government High and then ACJC and NUS. Right, right, right. Bukit Panjang Government High. That's that's very familiar because I went to the school opposite. <laughs> take take Wai Secondary School. Take Wai oh. Secondary School. Though, I mean, though, I, I don't know whether it's still there, but, you know, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about the, the four boys and being competitive and stuff like that, right? How about the, the sports part? I know you're competitive in food with food and, and the game consoles and stuff like that, right? But in terms of sports, right, did did, did they have an influence on you as well in, in that, that competitive nature and stuff like that? I I think so. I think we played a lot of... Honestly, we never played a lot of sports together. There was just a lot of fighting going on at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We played a lot of wrestling together. Right. Uh, but mine... Um, so I have three older brothers and only one of them played sports. Okay. Uh, and then I have one younger brother who who also became a rower because he was mm. like created by me. So out of five, only three of us were like very athletic. Okay. Uh, but I think it was more of like, I don't know. I feel that I was very tomboyish when I grew up. Like I love to wear my brother's clothes. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I never wore skirts and dresses until university okay okay <laughs> yeah so i i'm pretty sure they had some impact on me on like mm. uh, being a boy um like 
playing sports but but yeah um i think i was just very athletic <laughs> nice nice now uh netball was a, your your sport right basically when uh, when you were growing up as primary school secondary and as secondary school right and you excelled in it as well because uh you were in the age group national teams you know uh why didn't you pursue in that direction in terms of netball yeah good question so um i went to uh ACJC for netball um and then that was when i kind of like found rowing so i had netball training and rowing training um and then when i was in the age group uh national team it was under 15 which was in secondary school mm. or is it 15 and under i don't remember the terms but um basically coming from bukit panjang government high which is not a girls school mm. when i went to the combined school when i went to the national team I was the only one from a co-ed school right. and it felt very awkward um and they know each other because they've been playing for so long together. So because of that I kind of like even in ECJC I was the only one from the co-ed school everyone else knew each other so it like and that rowing attracted me more because I felt more belonged. Mm. But I still love netball. I went into coaching after I kind of like finished my right. competitive netball days. But but yeah, unfortunately, it was because of the environment that uh, kind of like pushed me out. It's it's very interesting because you you talked about the co-ed school and stuff, right? And and then you coming into a, a you know a school and and because rowing is such an individual sport and and is that. That that is kind of like a tells something about you as well. Do, is there a, a, a different kind of thing between? I'm talking about the mental aspects, right? And I'm sure we all know this, right? The mental part of things in terms of the a, a team sport as well mm. as an individual sport. What are the differences? You're the mental skills coach, now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely challenging for me to like kind of like transition into rowing because you have the team aspect and the individual aspect, and you also have like the court game aspect mm. and a race aspect so it's very different but I think going into rowing helped me learn more about myself learning that I like to be on my own <laughs> I like to be on my on the water like uh, chasing my own goal not having to think about other people yeah. but when I joined rowing I did have a few other people who are also in the team mm. and there's also a team aspect to rowing even though I'm in yeah. uh, boat on my own so there's always a team aspect and I think that's the thing that attracted me having friends that do the same things it's it's good and bad isn't it in an individual sport because you know ultimately if you do well it's basically you and obviously your coach and but if you do don't do well it's it's basically your 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 kind of your your fault in in a way but in a team uh you know aspect you in or game you kind of like can put the blame on somebody else if something goes wrong you know that kind of thing you know and I, it's very it's very uh it's very important that uh, we we know that as well right now we're going to talk about uh, rowing just a little bit later on right you were also a, a, a pt a personal trainer for a bit right uh, a pe teacher and an sd officer at uh, dian poly as well right i mean uh, uh, a few jobs there did you already know that you know you wanted out of all this is just like a kind of like a you know a stepping stone kind of you know going on to the next thing or you thought that you know I just want to try out these jobs and, and you didn't know what exactly you wanted to do uh good question i think most of the jobs that i have had in the past are always about like coaching teaching like transferring of knowledge and i think that's where my passion lies in like wanting to help others achieve something um and no i had no idea that i had to quit my job to be a full time athlete but i remember when i was teaching um like in the unpoly being a sdo student development officer i'm constantly and even being a teacher in a high school the pe teacher i'm always thinking about training like i could be better off training than sitting here and teaching kids and for me i feel that especially if you're a teacher if you're not 100% in it you will impact like the 40 kids that you have and i don't like that i don't like knowing that i'm not giving my all in my job so that was when i realized like okay i i have to put one aside to really do well in one because at that point in time i wasn't doing well in teaching and i also wasn't doing well in rowing so 
I had to choose one. Yeah, some, uh, something you had to give, right? Um, okay, let, let's go back to the, the rowing part, right? I, I Obviously, you got spotted in secondary school. Yes. And and then from then on, you went to the national team uh, rowing. Mm-hmm. Now, what what is it about rowing that you love? Obviously, you said it at the beginning just now that it was, uh, you like to be alone in a way, that kind of thing. But were you a natural at it? And, and what is it about rowing that you fell in love with? Um, no, I was not a natural at it. Uh, when I started rowing, I hated it because especially coming from a very dynamic sport like netball, rowing is the same stroke that you do over and over again. <laughs> it's a very boring sport if you put it in that perspective. Uh, but I think I was very competitive with myself. I, I keep on coming back to training because I wanted to prove to myself that I can do this. So I remember the first time I was in a single skull, I spent more time in the water than on the boat. <laughs> I was always like, I, I was capsizing all the time. It was okay. terrible. But but once I get the feeling of rowing, that was when I felt like, wow, this sport is amazing. So it took a while for me to actually build the love for the sport. You you are like kind of like a sucker for pain, right? Like, <laughs> you, you know, it's like, like you say, rowing is just, you know, doing the same strokes over and over again. And, and obviously there's, there's like pain and, and you know, the, the repetition is, it just gets to your brain sometimes, right? Now, uh, what are the physical attributes you think that is needed for this? You know, because I think it's not easy. You know, I, I, I tried dragon boat once. It's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy among so many of, I mean, there's a, there's a team in Dragon Boat, right? Even then, it's so uh, crazy, you know? So, so what are the physical attributes that you need for that? Yeah, uh, so I got talent scouted to row because I was considerably um, tall. Ah, okay. <laughs> so you need long limbs to row because the longer your legs are, the longer your arms are, the longer the reach is. So your one stroke is longer than some a stroke of someone who is shorter than you. Wow. Yeah. So if you multiply that by 240 strokes, which is what a usual race distance is, okay. that's a lot of like advantage. Okay. But to think about it, so I'm I'm 173 cm and in the rowing world, that is considered very short. <laughs> If you compare that to the the the, the Europeans and, and stuff. Exactly. So okay. the average height is like 190. So 190? When I, yes. <laughs> when I went to the Olympics, I was like looking up to everyone. It was, yeah, I was short. <laughs> wow. Wow. But yeah, you need that. And rowing is a lot of lower body. People okay. think it's like a lot of upper body because you do this. But no, you need uh, strong, powerful legs and like glutes and hip flexors. Mm. Things that uh, we learn every day, right? Uh, you know, something <laughs> new that I learned. Now, uh, in terms of the the events, the different kind of events, right? What what are the events? Uh, what what are the events in in uh, rowing? You know, yours is the skull, right? The individual skull. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, we only have one distance. Right. Uh, open category is only two thousand meters. Yeah. As uh, so you have the women single skull, you also have like lightweight and open weight. Okay. Um. So I used to be a lightweight rower. And then for the Olympics, I changed to the open weight rower. Um, and then you have doubles. You have like four people in the boat, fours. And then you have the eights. Mm. So one, two, four, or eight. So what is the difference between the lightweight and the open weight category? What What was the difference? For females, uh, the lightweight females have to be below 59 kg. Uh, right, right. Yeah, so open weight is... 59, 60 kg and above. Actually, 59.1 kg and above. Okay. Yeah, so I had to... I mean, not I had to, but I was more towards a lightweight category mm. when I was competing because they're all around the same height as me or shorter. That's okay. why when I went to the open weight category, I'm considered small. <laughs> right. Now, uh, you know, do you prefer one over the other? Obviously, you took part in the single skulls, right? But do you have like a preference? Like, Yes, I prefer the lightweight category because okay. um, I'm more competitive in it. Right, right, okay. Yeah, but also when I was in the lightweight category, I needed to watch my weight a little bit. So that was very unhealthy, and I don't recommend it to it's, anyone. It, now, now that you say, it's like boxing and f- fighting, right? Like, like you got to cut weight and stuff like that. Did you have exactly. to experience that? Oh my god, hundred percent. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a miserable experience. But the thing about boxing, when you want to make weight, 
you weigh in the night before and then you have a whole day to recover. Yep. For rowing, you weigh in two hours before. Oh, yeah. right. Well, that's great. That means you got to be maintained. Um, You know, you have to maintain that weight throughout, right? Exactly. Oh. So I, I remember I was maybe 100 grams over. <laughs> 100 grams? Yeah. So you have to wear like six layers of clothes and run around. <laughs> <laughs> Now, who are, who were your coaches and your your coaches who have really influenced you? You know, in your in your career so far. Um, I have a few coaches. Uh, I have a lot actually. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the most influential is the one who brought me to the Olympic Games. Um, his name is Alan Bennett. Goes by AB. Um, initially because he started coaching me for free, because I couldn't afford any. Uh, coaching and he was like you know come over to the to Australia and I'll coach you for free and then eventually uh, with more financial support from the government I was able to kind of like pay him um, and then uh, yeah he was he was just yeah. an amazing coach. Uh, something that he said maybe then that it has stood out in your head throughout your career Something that he said. I mean, obviously, there's so many things that, you know, he has said that, you know, but something that, that you really brought it till now, even in your life. Yeah, he, he was a man of very little words. Uh, so when he said something, it means a lot. Um, the biggest, I mean, the most impactful thing that he said was actually um, at the Olympic Games when I didn't qualify to the next round. Um and I was just crying and crying and he was so angry at me and uh, because I didn't do well because he knows I have the potential to do well, but I always like stop myself from doing well. This was in the Olympics, the 2016? Yes. Right, okay. All right, during the qualification round. Yeah. Um, so what happened was I got out of the boat and then we usually do like a post-race reflection, but I was just crying too much and he was just so angry at me. I told him, I want to go shower first. So after I showered, I come back and then um, the first thing he said was, um, I'm mad at you because I care for you. And then I just cried and cried. And cried. <laughs> that made it worse. <laughs> exactly. So for someone who has very little words and come up to you and say that, you're like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that... Uh, and whenever I meet coaches now, I will always tell them like, you got to show or tell your athletes that you care because mm. it's such an impactful thing. Brilliant. That's brilliant advice, man. Uh, now, if you, you we, we go back to 2013, right? When you quit, right? To go full-time into rowing and stuff. And you said, you, you told us the reasons, uh, you know, you, you can't just do both. You have to do something and, and do it right. It was bold. You know, it was a bold decision, right? And, and the goal in mind was... The Olympics was was that the goal, or is it just go full time, uh, full on, and see what whatever comes. Yes. Uh, so I started having that goal to go to the Olympics. Uh, when I actually went for the qualification for twenty twelve. Mm. Um. So it was in Korea when I went to, for the qualification, and I didn't really train for it, and I came second to last, which is I think fourteen or fifteen out of sixteen countries. <laughs> Okay. That was when I realized, like, if I want to get to the Olympics, yeah. I need to do something about it. Right. So um, the next year, I was like, okay, I got to do this um, in order to try and get to the Olympics. Uh, objections and naysayers out there who said at that time, Aisha, come on. <laughs> this is Singapore. Very typical, yeah. isn't it? Right? So who, who objected to this? I'm sure there were many. My mom. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> my mom was like the number one um, non-believer in you know sport right. and things like that. Um, and thankfully, the people around me uh, were supportive. Like um, my employers, uh, Nian Poly, they gave mm. me a lot of support. And it wasn't like quitting Nian Poly; like they kind of like gave me leave, right? So and come back after I'm done. Uh, so that was a big thing. Um, yeah, and um, there were my teammates then uh, who were just continuing to like just cheer me on. Nice, nice. Uh, so you packed up and you left for Sydney, I I, I believe. Uh, what was that like? What was a typical day like for uh, a full-time athlete in Sydney with your coach, obviously? What was that like? Wow, this was so long ago. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, 
So rowers, for some crazy reason, like to row early in the morning. So I remember waking up at 4.30 a.m. to get on, the like you have to be on the, your boat at 5 a.m. Uh, so you train from 5 to 7 and then everyone goes to work. And because you're a full-time athlete, you eat and rest. Um, resting was the hardest part because you always think like, oh, resting, I can go shopping, I can do this and that. But like I had to train myself to do nothing. Like sometimes even like thinking about stuff is mentally tiring. So kind of like just read casual stuff or like just rest. <laughs> and then in the afternoon, I will have a gym session uh, because I was changing from a lightweight to open weight. I had to gain more mass. So I was in the gym about five to six times a week. Um, and then sometimes I will also do a second rowing session. So that's about 13, 14 training sessions each week. No, there's just a few things that I picked up from there, right? Firstly, waking up at 4.30 or, or start in the water at five o'clock. Like, like you said, you don't exactly know what's the reason why rowers do that. Is it because of the weather when it gets hotter? You don't want to be starting later on? Well, what's the reason? You still don't know the reason. I know. <laughs> most of the people either have school or work. Like my so, coach will have to go to right. work. Okay, so oh, that, that's pretty early. That's not pretty early. That's crazy early, man. Start at it's five. It's very early. And, and the second part that I picked up on, the, 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 the rest part, right? It's like literally rest. You, you can't do anything. And you're right because it's so difficult to do. It's, it's so difficult for any normal human being to just do nothing, right? Exactly. That's why when even when I was teaching, I wasn't resting. Even though when I was sitting down working on the computer, mm. yeah. it wasn't rest. That's why I couldn't, I wasn't well rested for my next training. Right, right. So, you know, what in, in, in general, right, in all those training sessions leading up to the Olympics and SEA Games and what have you, right? The sacrifices have is, is obviously being away from family. That's that's one as, as well. What what were the sacrifices that you you need needed to make or maybe change a little bit from when you were in Singapore? What are the what are the differences in terms of sacrifices? Um firstly I never like to use the word sacrifice because yeah. it's a huge thing. I, I feel like it's choices I make and the consequences that I have to deal with. <laughs> and the choices I made were to not have a um life of a 20 year old <laughs> like I never went out um, with friends until late at night sometimes I would go but I have to leave early especially when I was a lightweight rower whenever I go out with friends I don't usually get to eat <laughs> I was starving all the time so those are the choices I made are uh, really foregoing the fun and exciting part of life being a 20 something I'm so that's sure why now I'm, I'm sure you sneaked in some a couple of nuggets up here and there. <laughs> nuggets are my weaknesses. <laughs> I I like I like it when you say that you know it's it's not a sacrifice rather it's a choice, right? Because you you made the choice un unless you were you know forced to do something, right? But yeah. but she, I mean people from the outside looking in like you know they've not in the sports fraternity especially. They, it it's it is a sacrifice. You, you know what I mean. It's 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 really a sacrifice not to be, uh, or maybe not the going out part at night with friends and all. But but the other things, right? The other things are like like the time. You know, waking up at four o'clock, I could be sleeping. You know, things like that. And it's 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 very nice to hear you say that. It's a choice because not a lot of people will think that way. Let's talk about competitions. Uh, uh, Aisha, you won the goal, the the Sea Games goal in Myanmar that same particular year in two thousand thirteen, right? And and yeah. obviously before that you had a couple of bronzes in in the Sea Games, right? Did you feel vindicated going full time and then suddenly boom, it's it's gold? <laughs> did did you feel that 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 was the difference? Maybe definitely. I think the full time training helped helped me to focus, uh, helped me to recover better, mm. and just helped me to prepare better. I think it was just important for me to just focus on one thing and then do well in that thing. Right. Uh 2014, the Asian Games, right? You you did well in the, the heats, but finished last in the final. And I like this, and I want to read this out because I think you said this. Okay, I didn't say it, you said it. Uh I guess I didn't want it bad enough. I wasn't as hungry as I was during the Sea Games. You know, uh third place in the heats made me a little complacent. Uh I thought that was very uh very frank uh, from an athlete 
especially from Singapore after a race or after whatever match or whatever, being or seeing it as it is, like it it was basically my fault. I was complacent, this and that. It was very refreshing. Did you really, you know, just wanted to just go out there and say because I I I don't know. I I feel that in Singapore sometimes after especially in the Sea Games and what have you, uh, the athletes come out and say yeah I did my best. Uh, Uh, my personal best, well, whatever it can be, anything, right? I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm cynical, right? I, 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 I think that they, they are very safe in that sense. Do, do you think our athletes are a little bit safe in that sense? I don't know about other athletes, yeah. but um, if you know me well, I'm a very frank person. Right. Okay, <laughs> like I'm very honest about telling you how I feel. Um, mm. and I think that stems from me just having to be honest with myself. Mm. Um, and really accepting that you know I did not do well, and not okay. not being afraid to own up uh, own up what I did wrong. Okay. So I I honestly <laughs> don't remember because it was so long ago. <laughs> but it sounds like something I would say. <laughs> so, so definitely, I'm sure. I'm sure it was you. Okay. And and I I don't know. I'm just asking right because you 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 are your experience in this ah. Uh, In terms of the national team and whatever, is there like a press officer telling you or with you saying, "Don't don't say this, don't do not say that." I don't I don't know. No. Yeah, good question. Ah, uh, when I, when you were saying that, I was actually thinking about that. Like, did I had media training? I don't think so. Okay. Ah, um, yeah, no, I did not had media training until I went to the Olympics and they taught us how to talk. Who's they? Uh, Who taught you? Oh, um, sports SG. Okay. 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 They did have media training when you go for certain competitions, right. but yes, I don't remember having media training then. Um, and and yeah, I think it it came from my heart. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. You should, it should that should be the way, you know. As long as you're not vulgar about it and going out and you know you know spotting out uh, f words and stuff, right? So so it's great. Now I want to talk about the Rio Olympics qualification part, right? Because you had to finish top seven at the Asia and Oceania Continental. Uh, qualification regatta in in Korea, right? And you didn't qualify for the A final. That's that's right, right? And and yeah. you had to finish top in the B final to qualify. How yeah. was that? It, it must be like like nerve wracking, right? You have to finish top in the B final. Yeah, it was. I remember it was very scary because on paper I was not even supposed to qualify because my results were not on par with the mm. top. Six top seven, right? But I remember the only thing I remembered about that B final race was putting my mind in the boat and just focus on what I was supposed to do. Like rowing is easy in the sense that whatever your opponents are doing, it doesn't matter. You just put your head in the boat and focus on what you do. Unless like they come and attack you, and then you have to answer the call and things like that. But most of the time, you just play your game. Um, so all I remember was telling myself legs, 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 two hundred and forty times, <laughs> because that's how many strokes you take. That's how many pushes you need to make in a race. Right. And yeah, that's honestly like people ask me like, what goes through your mind when you were doing that race? That's the only thing that went through my mind. <laughs> wow, wow. And and when you finished, it must have been like you know, it's it's surreal, wasn't it? Like like to be to quali to be able to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah, but I did not know I qualified because everyone, the top three rowers in that final B was so close to each other. Right. So I didn't know whether I was first or the other person was first. But until the boat came and tell me that I qualified, that and then it was just like <sighs> a sense of relief. I I just wanna, I just want to ask you this, right? This two hundred forty strokes, right? It's not the same for everyone. No, it's not the same for everyone, right? It's like wow. So so you you actually you but you don't count right while you do it. So, sorry, oh, I'm, I'm just being ignorant. Really, you count? Yeah. Yes. So this is when we go to the mental skills portion. So when you are hurting, you let you distract your mind by thinking of something else. Okay. So I distract my mind by thinking about counting, counting, counting. Okay. So yeah. so different people have different ways of. Most people don't count. <laughs> Most people don't count, but I count. <laughs> so on the on the dot or or whatever you want to call it, it's two hundred forty strokes, and you finish. I'm pretty sure it's not two hundred forty strokes. <laughs> oh, Maybe I'm so, minus. <laughs> I'm I'm so amazed with this this thing. You know, it's it's so very precise and it's so detailed. It's it's great. You know, and and that's what uh. 
that's that's how you get to be a champion. No, seriously, it's it's in the details, right? The small little things that that's gonna win you things. It's it's great. It uh, in Rio, you finished twenty third, right? What was what was the competition like? And you said it at the at the beginning, right? You you look up and they are like like freaking one point nine meters tall and, and and stuff like that, right? Were you daunted when you first went up when when you first went up there and, and think, oh, this is crazy, man? Yes, I definitely had imposter syndrome when I was there. Um, especially coming like seventh in Asia and Oceania and being small and tiny and being the first from your country. Um, I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, and also I remember it was during the national day and then there was a lot of media about like, oh, Aisha is the first to represent so much pressure. <laughs> I remember right. there was so much pressure and that made me not enjoy the whole process. Right. Like the whole Olympic journey for me was just so stressful. Mm. And if I had a chance to redo it again, I would because I would enjoy it more. And that's the other thing coming into like mental skills again. <laughs> One of the best things I've gained and learned and adapted is adopted is um when you have fun doing something, everything else seems so much easier. But when you add stress into the picture, you're like just thinking about the stress and everything will not go according to plan. So yeah, that was what happened during the uh, Olympics. Uh, I came in with just no expectations of anything because it was my first time. And my goal at that point in time was to qualify for the Olympics. I did not know what my goal yeah. was during the Olympics. So with no direction, I was just like a lost ship. Right. And... I, I, you brought up a very, very important thing, uh, Aisha, and it's about this uh, pressure with, you know, the first rower, the first sprinter, the first whatever to be in, uh, to, to, you know, go to the Olympics and, and what, it can be anything, right? But this, this mental thing, you know, to, to the training part, I think it's very essential. And why haven't we done this with our athletes? Like, you know, it, people are so far way ahead of us in that sense as well, right? Why haven't we done that? Because I think it, you, you're right, right? And and people from the outside will be thinking, yeah, you're the first rover, get on with it, be, uh, you know, just, just handle the pressure because that's what you wanted anyway, right? To be in the, but people don't realize that there, there's the mental part as well. It's not only the physical part, the mental part as well. And and I think this is so much needed, right? And I that's that's what you're trying to do right now with your your, your new business. And just going back to that from your experience, right? How far are we from clinching any medals in rowing in the in the Olympic Games? Just just be frank about it. In the Olympics, at least maybe I don't know, a bronze or whatever. How far are we? We talk about physical part, we take that away, the mental part as well. How how long is it gonna take? Yeah, in the Olympics, pretty long. Um yeah. Because I think what um is required to build like the like an Olympic champion rower is um support, definitely, which for rowing we don't really have a lot of support, like financial support, yeah. like resources from NSAs and all that. Right. Um and having people to train with. So that's why I'm uh, trained in Sydney because having people to push you on was is very important. It's part of uh, you know just getting better and not having that in Singapore is hard. Right. Um, yeah. So in terms of mental, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I feel that Singaporean athletes do have like that mental strength. I think it just needs to be unleashed or maybe trained because right. I, this is what I always tell coaches like mental training is not like a, a, an extracurricular. It should be part mm. of the training program. And sometimes when I, even when I'm working with coaches here in the US, they put me in slots like maybe after lunchtime or in between training and lunchtime during a weekend where they are free. And I'm thinking like, no, I am not something that you put in between your sessions. I'm something that you intentionally integrate in your training session. Right. And that's what mental skills should be. Uh, yeah. You know, I think we can never underestimate the mental part of things. You know, I think I was talking to Shanti Pereira as well, and she almost went into a meltdown and then after she recovered and all, and it's very important, you know, and no matter what we say, it's, it's, it should be part of the, the training sessions and stuff. And that, that's great. And we just go back to your real experience and you came back. I just want to ask you about this. And I think, uh, I, I don't know what, what, what was it? You've, you didn't feel like it anymore. 
like like going to training and because I read it from somewhere I think it was in 2017 or something like that and what 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 was it you know you didn't feel like you belong in the water or you just didn't want to go for training sessions what was it like yeah so um after rio um i think it's normal to experience that post olympic depression where suddenly you don't have training you're going back to normal life and normal life isn't normal um and then i went back to work and then like having to juggle again between work and training and then every time i got back on the boat i hated it like I hated being on water. I hated the sport. Um, it was so much so that I told my coach about it and he said maybe it should spend more time away from the boat. Um, yeah, so that was when I struggled a little bit with like identity issues uh, and, um, and just trying to find myself again. Right, right. Have you? Yes, <laughs> I think so. I hope so. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 you are back rowing as well as in as in there's no you, you you love the water you love your you know you you're you're back yes so it took me a while to get back in the boat uh but currently i have a rule for myself that i will not row for training because that just takes the fun away from it every time okay. i get back in the boat and try to train for something i'm always comparing myself to my older self like I'm not fast enough. I'm not good enough. So I'm rowing now for my job, which really takes away the part where I have to be fast. I just mm. have to be good at rowing and good at coaching. Right. Great. Great. Now, this is the part where, you know, I, I usually do this with my guests, you know, 10 questions, quick fire round, and you shoot your answers, right? But this time with okay. you, I, I want to do it a little bit differently because I, I picked up a couple of quotes from yourself from a couple of years or I don't know when was that, you know, and I, I think it was from you anyway, you know, just, just looking at those, <laughs> those quotes, it, it has to be from you, right? I just want to go through each of these quotes and you just, just elaborate on it or tell me how, what you feel, right? Uh, the, the, the first one, you have to be obsessed with doing something or else you are just an average Joe. Oh, so this is a hard one because mm. if, I was my old self. I would agree with that. And that's definitely something I would say. But currently, I believe that you have to have a healthy obsession. Like, yes, you have to be obsessed in something that you do, but you also have to have this B word called balance in life. <laughs> right, right. So so basically, you just changed a little bit. It's like healthy obsession. Exactly. Right. Nice. <laughs> Next one, there are ways to get around eating healthily. If eating healthy is expensive, make your own juice. It boils down to effort. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know if I ever said this though. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I think it is an effort to eat healthy. That is why chicken nuggets are not <laughs> good effort. <laughs> so that's, that's bad effort. <laughs> But no, uh, I think it does take a little bit more to really focus on eating healthy. I think like being intentional in what you choose to eat yeah, uh, and not to eat. Yeah. Nice. Next one. I have too many friends who are doing full-time work with a complete lack of interest. Do what you love and what you do and love what you do. Oh, yes. I still believe in that 100%. You got to do what you love and love what you do. Um. It's hard because I have seen friends who follow their passion, uh, who follow their gut feeling, but still like have not qualified for the Olympic Games. And um, like they follow this route to doing something that they truly love, but then like financially they're not doing well. It's hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't have the answers to all the questions. But from my experience, whenever I follow what I love and what I believe in, it always brings me to where I'm meant to be. Right. But it doesn't mean that this path has worked for me. It might work for someone else. Right, right. Because it, I, th I think you said it. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, like you love this. You want to go full-time at it. But, you know, you got to think about the other things, the family, the food, the money, and, and what right. have you. You know, it, it's, it's difficult. Next one. No matter how much I love rowing and want to train full-time, the government doesn't pay athletes they are not going to pay your phone bills <laughs> oh man where do you find all these quotes <laughs> I have my ways my friend <laughs> um, yes they used to not pay me um, 
uh, it's not pay me and it's so hard to be yeah. an athlete you have to buy your gear um, sports bras are so expensive uh, um, and you know like you said uh, eating healthy is also an effort it's also a lot of money to eat healthy especially in Singapore I I always wanted to know about this like like how does this work with with like like rowing in in, in particular maybe right like what does it take for the NSA or, or whoever to to sponsor you to you know live your dreams of representing the country how, how, because I know about you and your crowdfunding and you know for Rio and the training and stuff like that it's how does it work like what, what do the NSA want to see in you before they start do you have to win something and then it doesn't work anymore right because you you yeah. need that funding for you to win something so how exactly. does this work I know it's a chicken and egg situation isn't right. it it's right. like, I don't know which comes first the funding comes first or you proving to them that you deserve yeah. the funding yeah um, but I know that this is a big like issue, especially amongst like um full-time athletes or people who want to go full-time. Right. For me, if I had a chance to tell someone who's like, you know, trying to go full-time, I would just say like, focus on your training, like focus on what you can do at the moment. There's a lot of things out there that's not within your control and that's just going to stress yeah. the shit out of you. Right, right. <laughs> on the things that you can control which which also leads to the to something that you also said right i hope the government supports athletes no matter how big or small the sport is right every athlete deserves an opportunity to be the best you know i, I think that said it right you oh, yeah. I, I don't know it could be the smallest sport in the world but if you are trying to do it for the country for yourself as well going to the olympics and what have you i think they've got to support you as well you know i think it's very important and there's one more there's one more quote right it doesn't hurt to be it doesn't hurt to be self-centered once in a while if you are always out to make people happy you won't be happy yourself i still agree with that yes um i think you have to take care of yourself first because you're not going to make everyone happy and the most important person you have to make happy is yourself mm -hmm. and then when you are truly happy then you can make other people around you happy right yeah it, it does sound a little bit selfish and self-centered but I think it's just so important to prioritize yourself uh, sometimes. No, I, I I don't think it's selfish. I, I really don't think. And and by the way, is your mom happy with you already now? Yes, she is. I <laughs> it hope, took I, a while. Sorry? <laughs> it took a while for oh, her to okay. be accepting, but right. yes. <laughs> hey, by the way, how often do you come back like like to Singapore? So I uh, the last time I was in Singapore was before COVID. Wow, right. Okay. Yeah. It's a long time. But she misses me, so yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Aisha, let's let's look a little bit to the future, right? What you obviously you're doing your coaching and stuff like that. What are your plans for the future? I, I do you have plans? Anything in your head? Want to co compete for Singapore again? I don't know. It could be in the works. You know, it's on, only you can answer that, right? So, what are your plans, objectives? Yeah. Um. Good question. I do have like I'm still dabbling a little on like, huh. Maybe I should give it another try. I don't know because I feel I still feel very fit and strong. Um, but I've been doing a lot of endurance races, like I'm training for a marathon right now. And yes, I'm a sucker for pain. That's why I choose these sports. <laughs> um, and that's athletic. So I'm not sure where that is going at the moment, but I'm just keeping myself fit just in case. I might have a chance to go to the next Olympics. But in terms of professional, um, like career-wise, I, I have a full-time job now. I'm really building this business uh, and just continue to support athletes. And I'm actually having a meeting with um, one of the sports psychologists yeah. from SportSG to help Singaporean athletes because eventually that is my biggest goal to come back and help the Singaporean athletes. Any plans to come back to Singapore to work here full-time? Uh, you, you said you're going to help uh, Singapore athletes as well there. Uh, as in from there or how yeah. how, how is it going to work? Currently, maybe I'll just start remotely and then if Singapore can afford to pay me, then I'll come back now. I'm kidding. I, 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 I'm pretty sure they can't afford to pay your phone bills now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so that, 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 that is... And I also, yeah, I, so I was looking at your marathon uh, adventure and stuff like that. How many have you done now? Like, I've done two 
So I'm training for the third and third probably one. the last one. You, you, uh, I am right at the beginning. You are a sucker for pain because I did one. I did one and I, I and I kind of like train for it, you know, a proper proper training and stuff like that. Even then, like halfway through it, not, not, not halfway, maybe 30 kilometers through, you, you feel pain in places where you haven't felt pain before. It's like, like so damn crazy. You know, things start to shut off and stuff like that. So that's my first and uh, last. That's it. You know, thanks. I've done it. Bucket list done with. Yeah, you're, you're definitely a sucker for pain, man. <laughs> Any advice for budding athletes who are thinking of uh, going full-time, like uh, another Aisha, you know, and, and starting small and stuff like that? Uh, any advice for these guys? Um, I would say like what I said before, control the things that you can control, um, control the controllables. But I think the number one thing that um, I was being told when I was an athlete is to um, to have that obsession in your sport, that healthy obsession and something else. Like you are an athlete, but remember you're a human first. <laughs> so take care of that portion first, then that will make you a better athlete. Nice. Nice. That was great. That was great advice. Aisha, thank you so much for being on the Silver Fox Hustle podcast. Uh, it has been a long time coming. I think it took a couple of months uh, with here and there, in the process in between, you know, and stuff like that. Thank you so much for taking uh, time off. What what time is it, by the way, there? 8, eight something? It's 8.50 p.m. 8.50. It's 12 hours, right? 12 hours difference. Yep. Uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, we, we hope to see you again soon. Uh, maybe if, if not competing for Singapore maybe back here in Singapore helping out our athletes or even from there it doesn't matter and uh, thank you again Aisha for doing this no thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure talking to you cheers and can uh, I say something before you end yes you see the 10 pictures behind you yeah there's no female athletes I'm very disappointed oh, you need to train. okay okay <laughs> I, I, I will I will I for you I will I will go out I, I got this from uh, Arab Street I'm going to get it from Arab Street, uh, a lady. Okay, who's your favorite, by the way? A lady, I um, think. Serena Williams. Great. I'm, I'm going to get her. Seriously. All right. And I'm going to show it to, to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Aisha. We, this has been episode number 76 of the Silver Fox Hustle podcast. I follow us. Please subscribe to us. And uh, till the next episode, the hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle. Cheers.